Welcome to the Big Break Software Podcast. We'll be talking with software startup founders, software coaches, and consultants, and how they found their own software success. And now, let's get started with the show. Hi, everyone. This is Jordy Wardman here, host of the Big Break Software Podcast, where we talk to top leaders in the software field like Seth Godin, Andrew Warner of Mixergy, and many more. This is a show where we talk to proven founders about their 0 to 30,000 MRR journey and beyond. Today's episode is brought to you by OneStop.io. We have 45 developers waiting to take your idea to fruition. If you want a reliable full-stack development team with top talent that costs half as much as in-house developers, and you know you can trust your SaaS or mobile app with us, we'll give you the first 30 days no risk, and we guarantee being on time and on budget, or we finish a project at no extra cost. Contact us at OneStop.fm, and let's talk about your SaaS MVP project today. Today, I have Erton Chan is our guest on the Big Break Software Podcast today. Erton is the founder of Multiple Capital, a fund of funds that invests in early stage funds. Erton is going to chat to us about why he likes this space, why he likes the micro funds in particular, what he looks for in his investments, and what increases the chances of success for his investments. How are you today, Erton? I'm great. Thank you. you? Good. Great. So this is definitely a bit of a, a different interview for us. So um, we, we've had other VCs and other angels. Um, but why don't you, first of all, tell us about um, the strategy behind investing in uh, fund of funds and sort of what your business model is. Yes. So the difference between uh, multiple capital, which is a fund of funds, mm-hmm. uh, is that we are not investing directly into companies, mm-hmm. but funds is that. So okay. we are the sometimes we're called the money behind the money, but okay. there's the money behind us. So it's like yeah. several layers. So it's of a chain, money. eh? So we're going yeah. upstream in the chain. Yeah. Well, we are the money, like I am investing into the VC funds that mm-hmm. invest then into companies. So that's okay. the difference, I think. And the idea behind it is um, maybe I can tell you my story, why I have started doing this. So I was- Yeah, definitely. Let's, uh, let's hear your story. Cause I know you have a finance background. You were you went to school in in Finland, um, London, and in Paris. Is that correct? Frankfurt, Frankfurt. Okay, left. Frankfurt. That's right. Okay, sorry. Exactly. And and so yeah, why don't you tell us a bit of your backstory? Yeah, sure. So exactly, I'm, I'm I have a finance background. So living in Frankfurt, Frankfurt is the financial hub in Germany, and you sure, know, financial hub. Really, of Europe, I would um, say and, too. Um, so I did, um, I did a very late MBA, and then after that MBA, uh, really, I started for, a, for working for a family office, a German, you know, uh, traditional mm-hmm. uh, mid-sized family office, and I was hired to do investments into tech companies, right? So um, I started to invest in tech companies first, mm-hmm. and I just realized after one year that investing into tech companies, you need a specific, you know, background, you need uh, a specific experience to really do that and it's it's very tough it's very hard to invest early stage in tech companies that's Wait, what sorry I mean. can i just interject what why is that do you feel like you need to have like a development background or what is it you're going in and you're sort of overwhelmed by you know industry jargon or what is it i think they put it in simple words or in, you know in a simple met- metaphor the the thing is that the earlier you look at companies the more companies there are 
like the number of companies increase the earlier you look, of course, right? So mm -hmm, mm -hmm. everyone could start a company, like I could start tomorrow a company, I would be an early stage company trying to raise capital. So the number of companies increases the earlier it is. And, and the other thing is you don't have any, any facts, you don't have any KPIs, you don't have anything that you can really look at if you, if you invest extremely early. Okay, that and makes sense. The later the company becomes, the more KPIs, you know, facts, numbers, etc. team members you have and you can look and you reduce the risk in that company and that's why the valuation of those companies increase right mm -hmm. more wealth uh, more value in those companies the later the company is and of course also the number of companies decrease the later stage the companies are because that, yeah, the ones are failing is that is that yeah yeah okay. and like there are several statistics but you know, if you look at the like the first initial stage of founding a company and then failing, probably 90% of all tech companies fail, you know. And then even if you look at the, the companies that raised capital, right, so an angel mm -hmm. round or a seed round, still probably more than 50% of them fail. Mm -hmm. yeah, the right number is probably higher than 50%, but that gives you a, a ballpark of how many companies don't survive and how difficult it is to select the right companies early stage. Right. Mm -hmm. So if you want to invest early stage, I think you need, and then we're coming to your question, you need something that makes you able to select companies better than others. That might be an operational background within a specific area. Like you, you might be the you might be the um, the biotech expert and understand biotechnology earlier than others and are within biotechnology, and then you could maybe recognize and source. The relevant companies within your specialization mm -hmm. better than others right so okay. other than you that and makes me sense. You know, okay like that makes sense yes yeah. so, so essentially the reason that you moved into investing into these funds is because they were the specialists and you didn't you appreciated the expertise that they they held in their specific field so it may be in biotech software as a service startups or machine learning or something you couldn't be an expert in all of these but you wanted to get in with these fund advisors and sort of invest in them so do you feel like you're really investing more in the management of those funds or because they're making the decisions and or are you also having some input in in what they uh, invest in it's the first so i'm investing okay. purely in the managers and okay and to be honest i um i fully trust them after i've invested so okay and uh, to give you to mention one more thing so after i did 20 plus investments early stage right mm -hmm. so directly into companies i went back to the family office and said i don't think that this makes sense you know for uh, a german non-branded family office with one person no experience investing in this kind of companies and mm -hmm. I proposed to do exactly what i'm doing today so i proposed to do a fund of funds instead okay um, invest into specialists and then I developed a thesis, what kind of specialists make sense. And I think I'm a, like my thesis is around investing either in regionally focused mm -hmm. generalist investors. So you're, you know, you're based in UK, investing only in UK, but then mm -hmm. broader in the topic, but mm -hmm. covering a region. Mm -hmm. Or you are covering a broad region and a small topic. So either it's a small region and broad topic. Mm -hmm or small topic and broad region. That's the kind of how you uh, reduce the number of deal flow, right? So to give you an example, either you're based in the Baltics 
and cover the Baltics as a generalist and look at all kinds of startups, but yeah. only in the Baltics. Or you look at machine learning startups, but then across Europe. Okay. So that's the kind of um, focus pieces that I have. And so that's what I started then in 2013 to invest in. And, and since then, I'm doing exactly that. I've invested since then in 30 micro funds, you know, small funds. Yeah. Screened almost 1,000 venture funds. So that that's my day-to-day job today. It's, it's well, vetting these managers, essentially. Exactly. And, and, and you're getting pitched, I presume, all day long. Is that what it is? Or are you also going out and researching? I'm doing both. Okay. So, of course, we're getting. I'm getting pitched like a VC fund is getting pitched by companies. I'm mm-hmm. getting pitched by VC funds. Mm-hmm. It's the same process in the end. And then I have to do, a, you know, I have to build a pipeline, a deal flow. I'm sourcing myself because in some countries or areas, it's a very intransparent market. Yes. So I there is no list or Bloomberg uh, database where you can go in and look for all the emerging funds, right. all the emerging LPs. We're called LPs, by the way. Limited uh-huh. okay. And um, so that's why it's a very intransparent market. Again, the same thing. The earlier and the smaller the funds, the more mm-hmm. transparent the market. Like with, you know, similar, the parallel to the, to the seed stage companies. Mm-hmm. It's very intransparent the earlier the companies are. Okay. It's very intransparent the earlier the funds are. So if it's an emerging fund, you know, someone who's starting his first fund, of mm-hmm. course, no one knows of them, right? So they mm-hmm. don't have any background. They don't have any PR typically. They don't have any portfolio that they can talk about, et cetera, et cetera. So it's mm-hmm. much more difficult. And if they are based in Finland, how do they reach out to me? Yeah. Or if they are based in, in Denmark, how do they reach out to me? How do they even know of me? And same, same thing vice versa. How do I know of them? And that's like, I would say, more than 50% of my work is really to understand the market and see everyone that is in the market and is relevant for me. So I'm, I'm reaching out a lot of times in okay. niche markets. Are you doing that now mostly through LinkedIn? Is that how you reach out? Or, or like, what? how do you do your prospecting? There's a funny, funny experience I've made, and I've mentioned this a few times on Twitter. When I reach out in LinkedIn uh-huh. to a fund, yeah. and I know that they are raising... They yeah. typically don't answer. Oh, really? That's so funny because yeah. I think because there's so much noise today in LinkedIn. Okay. People just don't understand. They think that you're that you're a startup pitching them and they see something and they just ignore you, even though that you're in a you're the exact person that's in a position to help them. It's like let's let imagine you're a startup. Yeah. And then you're looking for funding, right? So mm-hmm. you're trying mm-hmm. to meet with VCs and then one VC Unknown yeah. VC is writing yeah. on LinkedIn, and so, you're just over, overlooking it because yeah. you think it's another so noise, yeah. trying to sell you something. Uh-huh. And um, my my experience is that when I look at the response rate when I reach out through LinkedIn, uh-huh. response low. Is extremely low. It's very okay. interesting. It's, yeah. it's the same as for direct emails. Like if I you know reach out via email directly. It's, uh, it seems to be uh, not really working. So the best thing um, for us, how it works, is referrals. If someone ideally you know, refers a very good new manager to me or you know, talks about it, and then um, mm-hmm. ideally those people um, see me posting something in LinkedIn, like mm-hmm. it, and then I can react on it. And, and, okay. and that's kind of um, best way to engage. And, and, so, and, and most of the time they reach out to me. Right? So okay. most of the time they 
find out who I am and reach out either through LinkedIn or through Twitter. I hope I, I, I try to recognize all of them in Twitter and LinkedIn because it's also very noisy for me, especially LinkedIn right. is very noisy. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's, that's the way um, how I, and then I, you know, when I, like the typical way is when I speak to the GPs, so to the VC, I always reference. So I always ask about new managers. I always ask about new entrants, okay. people, what they think about those people, etc. That's the way how I source. Okay. And that's a very qualitative way to source um, new funds. Yeah. Uh, okay. Just so this is a show for for software entrepreneurs. I, my SaaS brain is starting to think now. Is, is there a service offering that that seems like that's missing in the market for you that you you know i'm i'm sort of imagining like you know these they have these podcast meetup markets i guess so they, they you know for people that have podcasts that want to find guests is there a space in this market for you to kind of match you know like startups come in and and vcs and funds of funds can all sort of get is there anything out there like that now and and if there's not do you see opportunity there i mean there are there are platforms like crunchbase right okay Which... also a bit noisy though exactly yeah so it's it's coming back to the same thing so the earlier it gets the more intransparent it gets, and even uh -huh. a Crunchbase has difficulties to really show you the right value. And Crunchbase is right. like they have a lot of data, they have a lot of you know probably also financial um, power to analyze the data and, and classify them, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And even for Crunchbase, if I look at my own profile in Crunchbase, it's nonsense, right? Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, so it's very difficult the earlier it gets, and I think that's the that's the problem that you have in that market. Is there a need? I think, yes, I agree. There is a need for this kind of, mm -hmm. let's say, matchmaking. But yeah. that's a big word. And since I am in this business for almost a decade, I've seen maybe hundreds match matchmaking platforms. Um, it's typically over-promising, under-delivering, right? So okay. In the space for you, you've seen, you've seen quite a few come through and fail. I mean, there are two very big ones very established um, platforms called PitchBook and Prequin. Okay. Those are institutional data platforms where you can, where you pay a lot of money every year, like 20K, mm -hmm. and then you have something like a Bloomberg terminal, but it's like, um, you know, a, a SaaS data platform. And then you can search for VC funds, companies, mm -hmm. etc. Okay. But if, again, if you search, the earlier you are, you search, the less you find within those PitchBook and platforms because they they get they, they all they're only interested in say a certain capital capitalization say five million or something and you're interested in less say yeah so look we are a, a 20 million fund right okay so, and i i try to get listed in pitchbook and prequin for the last three years mm -hmm. and they still didn't list me oh really or at least not really like yeah like not really with the right information so that's the kind of missing part that is not happening in, in, in that world. And there are probably yeah. hundreds, if not thousands, small funds like me yeah. with difficulties to understand how can we list ourselves to PitchBook. And PitchBook is going out and selling investors. We have all the funds in our platform. That's just yeah. not true because yeah. they don't have them. They don't have me. And yeah. they don't have my funds that I've invested in. On yeah. And we, us, small managing uh, emerging managers, we have... Um, difficulties to get listed at those um, 
platform. The larger ones, okay. Same for press, right? The press mm-hmm. doesn't write about us, right? Mm-hmm. So it was right. interesting that you reached out to me, and and that's always interesting to to see and hear, you know, how people uh, find each other. But typically, uh, of course, every emerging manager needs some kind of press coverage, mm-hmm. unless you are a very branded personality already that mm-hmm. loves to write about you. Yeah. It is very difficult for emerging managers to get to get press coverage because mm-hmm. journalists don't know if you are relevant or not. They can't like they're not investors, right? So they, mm-hmm. they can't understand if which of those hundreds of emerging managers is relevant and to write about or not. How mm-hmm. should, it's not their job. Yeah, and this this makes it quite difficult. And I think coming back to your question, there is a need. I, I haven't seen a real offering that, uh, you know, matchmaking platform, SaaS product that really um, covers it very, very well. Probably the best one covering it is still Crunchbase at the moment, mm-hmm. which is still noisy and, and I think not 100%, but it, it goes into the right direction and you get it. Yeah. My impression is that there is a space for the smaller, you know, the smaller funds like yourself that can't get on PitchBook. You know, and there's more of you, right? So instead of charging twenty thousand a year, you know, maybe it's ten thousand a year or whatever, seven. And I'm sure you're going to be willing, you know, to pay for for services. Not that we're getting we're getting off topic here, but I just want to, you know, for any SaaS entrepreneurs that are listening, it sounds like there's opportunity there. So, Maturity. yeah, the twenty k is not a listing fee or something. The twenty k is you pay twenty k to use the platform. Yeah. So <laughs> funds yeah the thing is to get listed that's yeah, not yeah. related to any money right so yeah yeah we listed there you you need to i don't know how to convince or whatever what what the criteria is that you are going to be listed mm-hmm. so they are selling to me and you know when when i'm looking at their product they are telling me Etan, we are the best platform in the world and we have all the vc funds and then we're just going into the platform in a demo mm-hmm. and try to find my funds that I've invested in, yeah. and most of the funds are not listed, including, yeah. and that's the reason why I'm not using this platform, right? Yes, because okay. I'm not getting because uh, you're not even you're not yeah that's right you, you wouldn't get any value. So getting into the the funds, what what do you look for in the funds that you're investing? It, obviously the manager, but what what would make what would make you like feel good about an investment? Or, talk to me about the process because I'm not very familiar with the, this yeah. um, type of business model. Yeah, I think again I, I mentioned the uh, the thesis that I have, which is uh, you know based on in general you could say it's based on diversification. I'm diversifying in my portfolio, just much broader than mm-hmm. most other typical VC funds, right? Mm-hmm. Especially for the for the size that I have, which is still quite small. I built a portfolio of 500 plus startups, mm-hmm. okay, because I'm investing into 20 funds. Right. So I'm investing into 20 funds with my fund, mm-hmm. and those 20 funds invest in each of them in 20 to 30 companies, which mm-hmm. adds up to 500 plus. Right. That makes sense. One portfolio. So if you would, like the idea of multiple was always to um, to give investors like my previous employer, like the family office, right? So. Mm-hmm. Investors that I call non-sophisticated, so people who are not in the VC or in the tech business, but have wealth mm-hmm. and would like to invest in venture mm-hmm. somehow in tech. But how should they? Like, how? What's the typical way to invest in venture? There is no real typical way to invest in venture. If you are investing into a, the stock market, 
just go and buy an ETF and you have a diversified, you know, mm -hmm. listed stock market at the S&P right. 500. You have 500 companies in the S&P 500. It's yeah. easy to buy for everyone. But it's not easy to buy a 500 company early stage portfolio. Right. That's like the idea of multiple capital to be able to give smaller institutional investors the, the access to a very broad portfolio. Okay. That's one of the one part of the thesis. Then selecting funds. That, you know, coming back to your question, again, I have like uh, some hard facts, hard selection criteria, which is fund size. I don't invest in bigger fund sizes. I, I, I'm looking for small funds because statistically, small funds that invest early perform much better. Right. right? Sorry, can you just define that though? What do you What do you consider small? Yeah. For me, small is between 10 and 50 million in fund size. Okay. Um, and, you know, there are lots of uh, venture capital funds in the sizes of hundreds of millions. Right. Which I, you know, immediately say no to. Uh, and also, I wouldn't be able to invest in them. That's another thing because they're so big. But uh -huh. I am focused on, um, I think the average is for us around 30 to 40 million in fund size. And the smaller, the better. That's what I'm saying. Most okay. So you like to see it even like, would you be interested? Generally, most funds start at 20. Is that what you say? Or what do you think? Or some, you know, is it even possible to start at like four or five? Yes, it is definitely possible. Uh, there's a lot of proof funds, you know, mm -hmm. people who are going out and raising a 1 million fund or 2 okay. million. Um, AngelList is a very um, famous platform. Uh, that offers to raise this, you know, gives you the, the platform to raise the funds. Right. And you have a standardized, you know, fund setup mm -hmm. provided by AngelList and they get paid um, some uh, admin fees. Mm -hmm. And then you can uh, set up a very small fund, a 2 million, 3 million fund. I typically mm -hmm. invest privately in those funds. That's my angel tickets. By okay. The way. So I'm yeah. a full fund guy, right? Okay. So even my personal angel tickets, angel uh -huh. investments, are small, tiny funds. I'm not okay. investing into companies, but yeah. you know, if it's not a 10 million fund where I can invest with my own fund, if it's a 1 million or 2 million fund and I like the people, yeah. I put in a very small check privately, which is my, I call it my private angel portfolio. Right, okay. Um, so it's sort of like your play money, I guess. Yeah, it's not, it's not really play money. I mean, I'm yeah. not happy, but it's the kind of commitment that I have in that market. Yeah. So instead of investing 20K or 10K in a company, and I do it in a small, a, in, a, in a basket, exactly. in some managers that are good at finding a, a basket. It sounds like a very smart way to do it, actually. Thank you very um, much. And, and so if, if any of our listeners are interested in doing this, what sort of uh, is this, like, let's say I only have 50,000 or something that I want to do this for. Would that be the best way to do to get into this strategy or are there other what could I like could I come to you with 50,000 and you sort of manage it or and what kind of returns would I expect to see from that good questions so one of the problems I think in the market I, I don't know you are based in the US right I'm actually based in Switzerland oh right okay so and your listeners are in Switzerland, Europe, or they're probably all over. But I, I'm imagining that there's a good portion that are coming from the U.S. I was, I would say, yes. half. I would. So the the problem in our business is that the to be considered a qualified or accredited investor. Ah, yes, there's a U.S. It's like two fifty or something, right, or something in like the that. U.S. It's it's relatively complicated. Um, it's depending on your wealth. So it means that I think you have to have 
200k income a year or uh -huh. 5 million in assets okay so that's one of the criteria to be be able to do that so you have to get classified in the u.s what, what about outside of the u.s in europe so that's what i wanted to say yeah. each jurisdiction has its own limitations and okay. criteria so i am i have a german structure it's mm -hmm. a German fund and germany uh, has the, uh, we call it professional and semi-professional investors. Mm -hmm. Professionals are institutions, banks, uh, insurances, etc. And semi-professionals would be individuals, for example, or smaller, you know, family offices. And the biggest criteria for them is the German regulator says they have to invest at least 200K. Okay. Minimum in my fund is 200K. Okay. Which is, I'm criticizing that this a lot. Why? I tell you why. This is, uh, I think, something that... It's super important. You would be allowed in Germany or in any other country to invest in one single company. So in one early SaaS company, mm -hmm. right? The regulator would not ask you, you know, no criteria. Are you accredited? Or you whatever. are allowed, yeah. right? Yeah. So you, you are allowed to put 20K into one single company in Zurich. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But you're not allowed to invest your 20K into a diversified portfolio like mine. Which is pr presumably safer. Yeah. yeah. Of course it is. Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> it's like reducing the risk by 100%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's like, and, and that's the kind of weird thing that we are in, in, this, uh, in, in, in this current ecosystem. Okay. People, like normal people, are not allowed to invest in a diversified venture private portfolio. Right mm -hmm. by regulators, not a lot, but you're allowed to invest in single companies without without any problem. Okay. So I, I didn't make that, and I'm I'm you know I'm a, a member of the German uh, Venture Capital Association, and we try to mention that again and again that this is a problem, and I think uh, some countries are trying to find solutions, and uh, just wanted to mention that. Um, so in the U.S., for example, for your U.S. Uh, listeners. And I don't know if, if they're qualified as you know accredited investors or not, but to give you the answer again, there is again angel list and mm -hmm. angel funds and they are they are called rolling funds. I don't know if you have ever heard of it. No, I've not, no. So not going but to But that you could they could find that in Angel List if I wanted to do that and I had ten K that I was you know, so okay, this will exactly. you know So rolling funds are very small micromanagers. Mm -hmm. uh, typically raising very small amounts, 1 million, sometimes 2 million. Mm -hmm. And they're raising it through AngelList. And rolling means you can invest in every quarter at small check of 10K, 15K sometimes. Mm -hmm. And you can do that every quarter if you want, or if you don't want, you just stop. Okay. And that means if you have 50K, you could invest in five quarters of one manager. Mm -hmm. So the other question is, do I recommend that? I mean... I'm I'm a big fan of diversification again, right? So mm -hmm. I think one single fund is not enough, and a few quarters in that one single fund is even less enough. Yeah. So I, I'm always a fan of you know you have to be able to invest in something like ten funds, and you have to be able to select those ten funds. It's not like blind ten funds, right? Right, so right. It's like the the job that I'm doing is not investing only in twenty funds. I'm selecting those 20 funds out of hundreds of funds. Mm -hmm. That's the job that I'm doing, right? So okay. it's not only having an access to 10 funds in Zurich, let's say, you know, there mm -hmm. are 10 funds. And let's say the Swiss um, regulator says, okay, Jordi, you are allowed to invest in 10 funds in Switzerland. That would be a bad choice. Yeah. Because you have to diversify not only in Switzerland, but, you know, who knows who the next Skype or the next Spotify will be born. In, in That's the right. 
Yeah. It could be Sweden again. It could be yeah. Latvia. It could be Romania again, right? So this kind of countries. And if you're investing just in one country or just in one vertical, I think that's not enough in tech to be... It's uh, not enough diversification. That's right. Yeah. So what kind of returns are you getting? Uh, are you able to tell me that? Yes, I, I can. Um, I can speak in general about um, the returns. So, yeah. so our target was always to um, reach we call it top quartile, right? Top quartile means the 25% best performing funds mm-hmm. of the whole um, ecosystem. So we, we said, if I'm able to select on average top quartile funds, so the best 25%, then I've done my job, right? Okay. Then I've delivered the overperformance by selecting mm-hmm. the best funds, right? Mm-hmm. And so that was the uh, initial idea. And I think that's the idea of, of fund of funds all the time, you know, mm-hmm. that they are... The top quartile, that considered yeah, alpha then. Exactly, that yeah. they are bringing you the alpha, right? So mm-hmm. that are, if it's just a blind portfolio, again, there's no value in what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Right? So right, right. The value is that I'm screening the market and have a thesis to, to select the best funds in my view. And then those funds are returning on average better results than the average. Mm-hmm. So that was the initial idea, and that's why I'm, you know, that's why I'm sourcing so many funds, looking at so many funds, trying to understand, trying to improve my thesis, etc. And so for the last eight, nine years at least, we exactly delivered this kind of um, returns. We are even what we call top decile. Okay. What is that? Top decile is the top ten, top 10 yeah. Um, of of the world. So we're talking in venture capital. So mm-hmm. top ten percent venture capital returns. We are at the moment with the fund of funds. Mm-hmm. kind of venture returns this okay. is uh, this is an outlier my first portfolio right. is an outlier right know, okay great outlier congratulations it's a, that's great thank you and um and i think it's unrealistic to expect that you can achieve this kind of returns again and again i think my target is always to achieve top quartile returns okay whatever the top quartile returns are so what are the top quartile returns typically if you look um uh, into the past it's two to three times the money over the lifetime of a fund. So what does it mean? You invest a million, mm-hmm. you get after 10 years, two to three million back. Okay. That's just the ballpark of, you know, the- So that's about what, 15%, is that something in that yeah, sort of- I think in, in terms of IRR, so the, the yearly um, internal rate of return, it's probably something like 15 to 20% top quarter, okay. right? So, right. Um, and then it, it changed every year we're looking at vintages so mm-hmm. funds born in 20, 2012 right mm-hmm. have might have a different top quartile return than the funds born in 2015 mm-hmm. right it really depends you're comparing yourself against your birth so it sounds like sort of a tranche in a wine investment fund or something exactly. yeah so it is similar probably right? yeah and it's a, in every asset class it's the same thing you're comparing apples with apples right, right. So if you're a private equity fund and your your start of date is 2015, you're comparing against other private equity funds that started in 2015. Is that is that because the um because the return is is relatively long, is sort of five years out? Is that why? For the for when they launch. So let's say a, a fund is launching in in 2015 and they spend all their capital sort of in the first two years and they're waiting the payouts really five to six years out. Is that what is that what that's why? Yeah. So the typical lifetime of a venture capital fund is around ten years. 
Okay. Yeah, so you're raising capital, then you start investing, typically three years, four years. Mm-hmm. And then you're waiting until you exit the companies, and that takes another five to seven years. Right. Mm-hmm. So typically, the standard is 10 years. And in reality, I think the average VC fund took even longer than that. So the, the real numbers are more like 12 to 13 years until mm-hmm. the funds really have sold everything and paid back all the money. So that's the reality. Okay. So, and, and yes, you're right. So if you, let's say, you have raised your capital in 2015, Mm-hmm. You start investing 2015, and then you invest maybe initially until 2018, mm-hmm. and then you do some follow-ons, you know, in your company where you f- follow in later right, right. In company, and then your investment period is over in five six years, and then you need another five six years until you get back. Right. So okay. that's a typical lifetime of a VC fund. But that's like if it's the same thing like investing into 20 companies. Mm-hmm. So you know, if you are not investing into a fund but you think you're good in selecting and investing yourself into 20 companies, mm-hmm. you could do that. But it would be the same kind of lifetime. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because you would invest in 20 companies probably over three years. Mm-hmm. And then those 20 companies need typically all in all 10 years to return mm-hmm. the capital to you. You know, Every angel portfolio looks similar. It's not like that angels flip much quicker and can have returns much quicker. It's, it's the same process. You know, mm-hmm. investing into company and if it's early stage it takes a few years until you can exit and then the typical um, lifetime is 10 years that's the same for private equity funds i think for closed end funds okay and that's how we compare ourselves but i would imagine it's relatively uh unaffected by uh economic um downturns and uh is that true or or would you say that it's still it's still affect because i mean obviously if you're in a basket of SAS. And some are infected, some are definitely going to be affected by, say, COVID, whereas others are taking off, say, virtual um, sales softwares like Zoom are are taking off in COVID. Yeah, that's what we see in our portfolio, too. So I think if you, like, again, in very simple terms, I guess, when we talk now about COVID, if that's, Mm -hmm. let's say, a market down, which is, which it, it's not right. So it's uh, COVID turned out. All the markets are very healthy at the moment. Yeah, and uh, uh, people, especially software, I think. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. especially tech and software, uh, yeah. and commerce. Uh, you know, uh, digital commerce. Yeah. And so, did anyone expect such a huge increase in digital commerce uh, one year ago? No. And uh, or Zoom, this kind of product. Yeah. But um, this happened, and I think in our portfolio we can. Um, make it quite simple. We think one third, um, at least last year, were hit by COVID because of mm-hmm. the expectations they had. Mm-hmm. Uh, one third was neutral, and the other third really benefited from COVID. So all in all, it's nothing has to really changed in our portfolio. And the other thing is because there's so much capital in the market at the moment. So we we call it dry powder, right? Mm-hmm. So fresh capital. Yeah. That is available in the market, SPAC, yeah. you know, all these uh, late stage uh, things, IPOs, etc. You see that there is a lot of dry powder, so a lot of capital available for good companies to um, get financed in the later rounds, A, B, C rounds. We see a lot of A, B, C rounds happening in our portfolio yeah. more than we expected. So the market is at the moment quite healthy. Mm-hmm. So, but coming back to your question, so the market turns and we have a bear cycle, like mm-hmm. uh, stock markets, let's say crash. 
Yeah. And so we are at a peak for years. You know, there's cheap money available. And um, I think that most markets are very, very, very much correlated to each other. So what does it mean? They are all at peak. Mm-hmm. So um, if you look at private equity, it's very much correlated to public equity because it's very similar mm-hmm. companies just, mm-hmm. just at private level. And so if the public markets would crash, the private equity markets would go um, down. Same for hedge funds. I think hedge funds are very much correlated at the moment um, with public markets. So a lot of markets are very, very much correlated. And mm-hmm. this is also the case for late stage venture, in my opinion, because mm-hmm. late stage venture is like private equity correlated to the public markets. If the IPO market crashes for a late stage company, this is a very bad sign because the one way to exit to make an IPO would diminish and you wouldn't have this exit route anymore. Yeah. And that uh, means it's it's bad for a late stage company. Now, one of our thesis is that this is not the case for early stage. Mm-hmm. So we think that if you create a company in Zurich or in Zug, mm-hmm. you're a team of five people building a technology, you know, in a garage. Mm-hmm. So this is not correlated to public markets right, right. or late stage, you know, capital. That's one thing. I think the, the, the true tech correlation or, or business correlation, you don't have that. Or at least it's less correlated. You know, it's to say it's not correlated is probably technically wrong, but it's definitely less correlated than late stage markets are correlated with public markets or private equity is correlated with public markets. Mm-hmm. The other thing is, again, coming back to dry powder. So even if we would see a bear cycle in the next three, four years, all the big funds have raised capital and are sitting on dry powder. So they just sit they just wait it out. So they wait it out. They can they have they're not allowed really to wait. Okay. They have to deploy. Okay. What does that mean? If if you have an early portfolio, I think capital will be available in the next years. That's what I'm saying. Okay. If we are investing in, if you're looking at our C portfolio, 500 seed stage companies, they need follow-on capital. They need, you know, the A, A B, C round investors. But I think those investors have raised a lot of money today, and they have uh, this money available for the next three years to invest. Mm-hmm. So that means for us, in my opinion, and we have to we have to show that we have to you know make it real now in mm-hmm. the next bear cycle that this is the case, but. That's my expectation that, first of all, we are not really correlated. And second, there's a lot of dry powder for follow-on money. And that means that our portfolio is relatively, you know, it's probably less affected by a hard downturn than other portfolios are. Okay. We have to prove that. (laughs) Right. Okay. That makes sense. Um, Do you feel like you you could speak well enough on what sectors of the software as a service that you like right now? For example, are there any any areas that you're particularly interested that you think show a lot of potential and why? I think the answer is no. I don't I don't know. Um, You don't know. Okay. Is there anything that what makes you like uh, what makes you um, go after a certain you saying a category of fund? Are there ones that you like? Yes, I can answer that. You know, I, I'm looking for niche marks, markets. Okay. Example, what are some examples? And um, I call it also, I'm looking for underdogs, right? So, okay. Again, looking at the managers. But um, coming back to the verticals and sectors, um, we are agnostic. So mm. that means we are, um, I'm not looking to invest in any specific 
vertical. Mm-hmm. If the manager I've invested in is strong in my eyes and he's doing any vertical, he thinks it, it makes sense, I'm fine with that. Yeah. To give you um, some more insight about how my fund looks like, um, we have life science in our companies. Uh, we have uh, quantum computing in our companies. We have a lot of software deep tech in our companies. We have um, health tech uh, in our companies. We have AI and ML companies a lot, uh, machine learning and AI companies. Yeah. Enterprise software is a big part in our portfolio. Uh, SaaS is always, was always a big part in our portfolio. Yeah. We are probably less on the retail side, so retail commerce um, mm-hmm. or commerce in general. I think we are less um, allocated. So what I want to say, I think the the development of our portfolio, and it's it's not something that I'm, you know, actively looking to have, but it just developed like that. Mm-hmm. Is I've invested in those managers who typically invest more in B two B and more in deep tech today, yeah, and less in B two C and commerce, mm-hmm. uh, which might be, you know, again looking at COVID, which might be a good good vertical to invest in, right? So one year ago, two years ago, because. Valuations for commerce companies were low, mm-hmm. and now commerce companies just exploded. Yeah. So it's uh, you know you know that's why I am agnostic. I don't mm-hmm. know. And that's always my answer to also mm-hmm. potential investors in my fund. I don't know which region or which vertical will be the outlier. Right. In my last portfolio, it was a region and a company that no one expected. Yeah. It was a complete outlier, and um, this is the same thing now. I just don't know if I would know which fund or which region or which vertical is the is the real outlier. I would put all my money and my private money into that single fund. But you, that's just like, you know, I don't have the, the crystal ball to understand which of my babies will be the Superman, right? So, and that's why I have to be agnostic. That's why I have to be broad. And that's why I'm diversifying. Just to give you numbers, if we hit that outlier, right? It's still for us that the power law, in venture we call it power law, so the the relation of investing early and hitting an outlier is still huge for the total portfolio, even though we are so diversified. So we have 500 companies, but the best companies in our portfolio will do 1,000x. So one company will pay back two times the total cost of the 500 companies. That's the kind of returns we expect if we hit an outlier. Okay. So are those outliers real in tech? Definitely they are, right? So 1000X is if you invest very early, just happens every few years, even in Europe today, right? So the best company in our portfolio is over 1000X. So this is the kind of uh, returns that we are looking at, right? So we want to have, and we increase the probability by having 500 companies that one of them at least is some something like that. Mm-hmm. And we have probably not only one of them, but several of them. And, and then again, several of not super outliers, but still outliers. And that's the kind of way how we return money, right? It's not mm-hmm. evenly returned. It's not that all 500 companies are right. returning something. But it's, you're looking for the unicorns, the Ubers and the Shopify's and the companies like that, that, that yeah. you get in early and just make the rest, the whole portfolio explode. Mm-hmm. So the, in our case, and uh, I think that's public, so I can talk about it. It's it's UiPath. Um, I don't know if you know the company. UiPath. I don't know. It's an enterprise software company focused on robot process automation, and uh, it's a it's a company out of Romania. In my previous portfolio, we had three hundred thirty companies, and only three companies in Romania. 
Mm-hmm. And this is the biggest outlier in our portfolio. The mm-hmm. company is worth 30 billion today, right? Really, that's great. Within five years. It's a wow. Romanian company. Yeah, it's right? great. Romanian startup. And that's what I'm saying. So it's, I think it's not like, it's not enough to go to London and invest in two funds in London that invests in, you know, in, in London-based companies. You have to be in the, in the niche markets. You have to be in the areas where no one is really looking at. And that's, in my opinion, uh, the way how we increase the probability of having outliers in our portfolio. That's very interesting. I just want to mention we're coming up on the top of the hour. Are there any markets in, in Europe that you're particularly impressed with? I'll just give you a quick example. I went to a trade show in Poland, and it was mostly companies from Poland, and there were some wonderful companies there that had brilliant SaaS, uh, customer service was really strong. And I was like, wow, the Polish tech scene is really hot. Yeah, I had no idea. Um, are there some other examples that you know about it happening in Europe? Uh, so for me in general, it's CE, so Central Eastern Europe. You know, Eastern Europe is um, is hot. Yeah, still undervalued. And there's, there's a lot of potential. And um, it's, it's mainly two things. Uh, one thing, there's a lot of tech potential. So um, there's a huge number of STEM graduates in Eastern Europe. Typically, it's a tech nations, in, engineers, you know, by, by education. Um, and the second thing is those people don't have huge alternatives. So they're not the big companies hiring them and giving them six-figure six salaries. So the typical alternative for those well-educated tech engineers is to found a company. Right, it's a SaaS company or a software company, and that's why this region um, CE is extremely interesting um, still for Europe, in my mm-hmm. opinion. And yeah. others are Baltics. Mm-hmm. You know, Baltics, I think, is it's for some it's con- still considered it's in Europe. For me, it's a separate, separate three oh, countries: yeah. Estonia, Latvia, and, and Lithuania. And then, uh, and then the Nordics is also. I mean, it's it just a proven markets for um, creating great tech companies like Spotify, Supercell, lots of lot of really great companies came out of Finland, Sweden, uh-huh. and probably more to come because the right mindset is in those countries. Um, and they create and love creating things that yeah. are globally really attractive. That's, so that's, that's our, and I mean, in the end, again, coming back, you know, to my initial uh, answer, I don't know. It yeah. might be really a company from Leipzig which is a right. small German, you know, city or right. a company out of Geneva or something like yeah. that. So yeah. you, you really don't know. I mean, the outliers can come from everywhere, mm-hmm. anywhere. If you look at, you know, if you want to increase the probability kind of thing, I would probably bet on Eastern Europe. More. Eastern Europe. I think that's a good, that's fair, fair uh, statement. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Ertin. It sounds like anyone... Uh, a lot of um, SaaS entrepreneurs ask me and they approach me about, you know, uh, strategies for investing in, in angel investing. It sounds to me like if you can use this basket approach that you're using, it sounds like a, a really good um, way to get exposure in, in this market. Yeah, I think so. I agree. Right. If, if anyone could, wants to follow up with you, how can they um, reach you? I think the less noisy way is is using Twitter. 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 D- I agree. Yeah, because no one reaches out to me on Twitter, so I I think it's good. Yeah, direct message. They can direct yeah, message you. Okay, we'll have that in the show notes for sure. Thank you so much, Erton. Thank you, Jody. Have a good day. Likewise. Bye bye. Thanks for listening to the Big Break Software Podcast with your host. Jordy Wardman. 
Be sure to click subscribe and check us out on the web. Keep listening and your software big break could be right around the corner.